Sometimes I don't know I'm a worship leader when I'm not leading worship and I sing as loud as I would if I was leading worship. <laughs> My wife just told me. I was singing next to her. She was like, you need to sing a little softer. <laughs> no one's singing as loud as you. <laughs> I'm like, once a worship leader, always a worship leader, right? <laughs> oh. Well, I'm excited to open the word tonight. I'm excited to go back to John chapter 15. Now, a few weeks ago, my John chapter 15 sermon got hijacked by a healing prayer meeting that broke out in this room. How many of you guys were here for that? That was just amazing. So we just had, we just felt like there were some testimonies that needed to be released in the room and those testimonies got released and the power of God just began to move in our midst and and we prayed for a couple of hours that led us into praying for healing for cancer and healing for heart disease and healing for a few things that the Lord led us to. And so, Lord, we just say to continue to do all that you want to do. And would you, would you let a wave of healing wash over the front range in Jesus' name? I was thinking of the resurrection this week, and I was thinking of the eyewitness of the resurrection, the eyewitnesses. Those who saw Jesus, the women at the tomb, and Peter, and John, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that over 500 at one time saw him, and his brother James saw him, and, and I was thinking of that eyewitness testimony, and the Lord just spoke to me. He, says, he said, I still have eyewitness testimony to give, and it's through healing. I want the body to be healed and I want people's eyes to be opened, and I want them to marvel, and I want them to marvel at me. So it just caused me to, to pray for those wonderful eyewitness testimonies of the resurrection of our Lord. It causes us to go, he's alive. He really is alive. Amen? And there's power in his resurrection. Well, this is not Sunday morning, and I'm not going to give a resurrection sermon. Amen. <laughs> JR, I love you. <laughs> uh, though I've been thinking a lot about it, and I love preparing my heart for days and for, for seasons like this Easter season that we're in. I love just going through the scriptures again and asking the Holy Spirit to give me fresh revelation that he's not in the tomb, that he is alive. It's wonderful. It's the hope of our calling. It's the hope of our faith. Paul said we are to be pitied like none other if this isn't true. But if it's true, then it's good news. So I said I wasn't going to give the Easter sermon, but I'm still talking about it. Okay. So we're going to go back to John chapter 15. And really, I don't know if we're going to get farther than verse 9. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago, verse 9, and Jesus saying, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And we just went through some of the, the points of that and some of the revelation of what that means. As the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loves us with that same intensity. Isn't that amazing? Now, Jesus was talking about the way he had loved his disciples and the way he was going to love his disciples with this agape 
love that was from heaven. And just to recap, sorry, we just all have to pause and let that stop. Just play. <laughs> I don't know any jokes. I was trying to think of a joke about a phone ringing. The only joke I could think of was the one I've told here before when the preacher told everyone to open their Bibles, and he said, so if you have your Bible, open it up, and if you have your phone, and if you're a phony Christian, open up your Bible. So, it's bad. <laughs> but it made me laugh. So it's, <laughs> that was funny. So it says that the Father loved the Son, and that Jesus has loved us with that same love. And just some of those points to recap is that one of the ways the Father loved the Son was that He showed Him all things that He was doing. It says in John 15, 19, that the Father, Jesus says that the Father has loved me because He loves me. He shows me all things that He is doing. And in that same way, Jesus loves us and shows us and reveals to us what He is doing, both in His Word, both in His uh, and in his second coming, but also now he leads us and he shows us how to be about his father's business. Another way the father has loved Jesus is he gave all things into his hands. He gave him all authority and all dominion. It says that in John chapter 3. And I think it's amazing that Jesus, in his love for us, has let us enter into his dominion, to his authority, to his power. He says, as the father has loved me, given all things into my hands, I'm going to love you like that. Isn't that wonderful? And it says the father delighted in Jesus. When he came up from his baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in Matthew 12, it says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved whom my soul delights in. And as the father delighted in the son, the Trinity delights in us. We're a special treasure to the Trinity. We're a, it says in Ephesians 2, a workmanship. And you can even think of that as a masterpiece. We're a masterpiece to God. Paul says, I mean, uh, uh, David says in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. David confessed that of himself. He's like, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And his thoughts toward me are precious so we won't recap the last sermon anymore. So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then this wonderful phrase, this wonderful commandment he gives us that brings life and freedom. He says, now abide in my love. Another way we can say abide, another way we can think about it is remain in my love. Choose to be a part of this love that I have given to you and keep choosing to be a part of it. Keep choosing my love for you. I just wrote down, however wonderful Jesus' love is for us, however gracious and undeserved it is, continued enjoyment of that love rests, at least in part, I know there's sovereignty and I know there's the, the graciousness of the Holy Spirit, but the enjoyment of that love for us, at least in part, rests on our response to it. Choosing to remain is part of being a disciple. This is what 
we signed up for when we said, Jesus, save me. You have all my love. You have all my affection. Be the Lord of my life. We chose in being a, in a disciple to remain in his love. We have access to his love. And he has done his part. And we're about to celebrate it on Sunday morning. He's done his part. Oh, what majestic, wonderful love, 1 John says, has been given to us. That we should be called children of God. That love shown in his son, that acceptance shown in his son, that washing of our sins given to us in his son, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit given to us through the intercession of Jesus. He's done his part. We just need to continue to do ours. We get to continue to remain in his love. And so, I was just thinking, how do we abide in Jesus' love? What has been my personal testimony? What does the Bible say? How do disciples, believers, abide in Jesus' love? I think one key to abiding in his love is his word abiding in us. His word remaining in us. He says it back in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, and then he says, and my words abide in you. There was this trait of, if you abide in me and my words are abiding in you, then Jesus said, then just ask. Now, I love that. If you abide in me and my words are abiding in you, just ask me for what you see in my word. One translation says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask. Like almost like the word of God is going to produce this asking. And he says, and you're going to ask whatever you wish. And the idea is because you're asking from my word. Because you're asking from my will, from my desires for you. The Bible's clear. We can ask and ask amiss in the book of James. It says that. I grew up on a little bit of New King James, so I say ask amiss. <laughs> people said, people heard that and said, like, amiss? What is amiss? You can ask for wrong things, and the Lord won't answer you because he loves you, right? But if we ask according to his word, we'll ask whatever we wish according to his word, and he says, and it will be done for you. So part of us abiding in the love of Jesus, I believe, is his word abiding in us. I think another part of abiding in the love of Jesus is just simply asking that we would abide in Jesus' love. Simply asking, let me experience your love afresh and anew. Paul was obsessed with this prayer. He prayed in three different places in his letters, actually in more than three different places for the love of God, but I was just thinking of these three prayers. In Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11, Paul says, I pray this for you, Philippian church, that your love may abound still more and more. Well, is that love for God? Is that love for others? Is that God's love for us, knowing it, feeling it, walking in the revelation of it? And the answer is yes, it's all of it. <laughs> it's your love for God, that his love for you and your experience of it, and your love for others, he asks and prays that in the Philippian church it would abound still more and more. I think of like a cup that's just 
continuing to overflow or a fountain that doesn't run dry. It's just overflowing. And he says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, I think it's interesting. One of the requirements that Jesus says in abiding in my love, he says, abide in my love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. We're going to get to that. And basically, that's what Paul is praying. I pray that your love would abound still more and more so that you would have grace and strength to approve excellent things and you would be filled with fruits of righteousness. That's what he says in Philippians chapter 1. Isn't that beautiful? Approving excellent things and being filled with fruits of righteousness, not out of duty, because we love him. Right? It's like a marriage. My wife doesn't like to hear that I'm faithful to her out of duty because I guess I said I would. She likes to hear, honey, I love you. And we won't go farther than that. (laughs) Honey, you're the joy of my life. Honey, you are beautiful. Honey, I love you and I love our relationship together and the history we have with one another. That's what my wife likes to hear. That is the invitation Jesus gives us in abiding in his love. We get to do it from a place of experiencing his love for us and choosing to remain in his love for us. Amen? So let's go on. Verse 9 again, it says, abide in my love. And we actually are going to get to verse 10. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments then you will abide in my love. And then he throws in another phrase here. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. I just wrote down here, if the definition of abiding in the Son, with the Son abiding in the Father, in their Trinitarian relationship, if the definition of abiding in the Trinity, is the Son keeping the Father's commands, then what makes us think it would be any different if we are in Jesus? And he gave us an example. And he gave us 33 years of a life lived. We have glimpses into the early days, and we have the majority of the last three and a half years But he gave us an example of, as a man, this is how I abide in my Father's love. Meditate on me. Pray to me. Think about these passages and ask for grace from the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus grace to abide in the Father's love. Ask for that same grace to abide in my love. I was just kind of having fun going through the Gospels, particularly the book of John, as we're in the book of John, and looking at all the ways Jesus obeyed the Father. I wrote, the obedience of Jesus is one of the central realities articulated in the Gospel of John. You don't have to turn to all of these. I'm just going to read some of these. Jesus said in John chapter 4, He said to them, my food is to do the will 
of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. And I believe Jesus gives us that same access to doing the will of God and accomplishing his work, and that is satisfying to us. It fills us. It's like food to our souls. How many of you have, who, how many of you have experienced that? Obedience to the Lord is satisfying. Obedience to his voice, it's like life to your body as food is nourishment to the body. Jesus says this on John, in John 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the son does, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he is doing. I think it's amazing that the Lord uses this language next. He says, and greater works than these will he show him. Meaning greater works than these is the Father going to show Jesus so that you may marvel. The reason I think that's amazing is because that's a language Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples. And I'll show you greater things than this. And you'll do greater things than what I even did so that the world may believe. He brings us in to that Trinitarian relationship that he had with his father. He says, you're going to have access to this now. And I'm going to lead you like my father led me. And you're going to do greater works. Isn't that amazing? Amen. It just goes on and on. John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So, Jesus says, abide in my love experience my love for you as I have experienced love from my Father. Abide in it. And he says, and one of the ways you're going to do this is my word's going to abide in you and you are going to keep my commandments. Now, in keeping his commandments, he speaks of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us to keep his commandments. Amen? And J.R. Hit, hit, hit on this last week, and I just want to bring our attention back to it a little bit because I, I feel like it's, it's really important. And I'm not going to re-preach his sermon, but, but I actually wasn't here last week. I was at a soccer game uh, with my two twin daughters. They were playing up in Denver, so I snuck out early from the service, and I got to see my two twin daughters just tear up this defense. I mean, they couldn't stop them. It was just wonderful, that pride in my father's heart. Like, do you know maybe hours of practice on a soccer field I put into that? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, it's having fun. We'll cut that from the recording. But the Lord was speaking to me today of just how we obey and how we keep the commands of God and how he's called us to actually, in the new covenant, keep them, not from the outside in, as in reading them and trying to get them in us and trying to do it and striving to do it, but he's given us access to keep his commandments from the inside out. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And it's called a heart of stone being turned from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And every time the new, the, the new covenant is spoken of in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, it's about a soft heart to obey the statutes and the will of God, not out of striving, but out of 
the Holy Spirit renewing the heart so that we have desire to obey his commandments. And I was thinking of that just in my own life. The difference between keeping his commandments through, or, or just keeping his commandments through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. How the Holy Spirit has led me and spoken to me and, and helped me have strength to enter into greater obedience in my life. And I was actually talking with my daughter on the way up here today, because when you think of conviction, you tend to also think of, well, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? And we got into this discussion in the car driving up here, and she just asked the question. She was like, Dad, I, I'm a little confused. I hear that I'm not to be condemned in Christ, that there's no condemnation in Christ, but she goes, but at the same time, sometimes I feel really bad about how I don't obey him, how I'm not listening to his voice, how I'm not, and so we just kind of broke this down in the car, and, and it just got me thinking all day, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Now, Paul goes into this very clear in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Paul's saying that we are dead and we die to ourselves through our obedience through our acceptance of Jesus, and now we're married to him and we die to sin in, Roman, in the beginning of Romans 7. But then he starts talking about the reality of what that was like in him as a believer, a non-believer. I'm not sure what part of Paul's life he was talking about. I think he was talking about his own, his, his experience in coming to Jesus, but also his experience in being a disciple of Jesus. And he says, we die to the law because the law brings death. But he explains that. The law brings death because it reveals sin in us. And it's like a sign that gets put up, don't touch. And all you can do is think about touching it. There was a hotel that I was reading about today that put up a sign, don't fish from the balcony in Florida. And because they had that sign up, they had constant trouble with people fishing from the balcony because the water was so close. And all they had to do was take down the sign. And when they took down the sign, the people didn't even think to fish from the balcony. But as soon as they, told, they were told they can't fish from the balcony, they wanted to fish from the balcony. We kind of get that, right? <laughs> that feels familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm always cautious of what, what, when I tell my children, like, don't watch that. I'm like, oh, just don't say anything. They won't even find it. <laughs> but Paul's saying that it's not the law that makes me sin. It's sin within me that when I read about righteousness and when I read about the perfection of the law, it's sin, it exposes sin, and he didn't have power to resist sin to not Obey, or to, to obey. And then he goes, and what I want to do, I don't do. And what I do, I don't want to be doing. But then he says, but my inner man loves the law. My inner man loves the commandments, but there's another law working in my flesh, and it's working against what I want to do. And then he says, of course, oh, wretched man that I am. And I think it's funny, between like verse 7 in Romans 7 
and that verse, O wretched man that I am, the word I is mentioned 40 different times. I can't do, I want to do, I. And then the last time, O wretched man that I am, and then he says, and then he looks outside of himself, who will deliver me from this bondage of death? Who will deliver me from this corruption? Who will deliver me from this power of sin? Because it wasn't that Paul didn't have a lack of knowledge. He says, I know what I want to be doing, and I can't do it. It's that Paul had a lack of power to do it. And he said, oh, what wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this bondage of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. And then he begins Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation in Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm just going to go there for a second because I'm misquoting this so often. <laughs> he says, there is, no con- there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the idea here is that in verse chapter and in verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law could reveal sin. The law couldn't give us grace to obey it. But he says, But by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that word likeness is important. It wasn't he wasn't sinful, but he lived as a man without sin. It says, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who now do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So he says, you, as a believer in Christ, you had a death sentence and it was called sin in your members. But now, trusting in Jesus, that death sentence has been taken from you and put on his son and abolished. And therefore, we have no condemnation in Christ. We can sin, and we have a righteous advocate, and we can run back to the Lord and return to Him and claim that wonderful act on the cross of Him giving us His righteousness. Amen? So we don't have condemnation. Condemnation is, is what, puts, what makes us want to run away from the Father, away from Jesus. But conviction, there's many more verses on condemnation I'm not going to go to, but conviction is what J.R. was talking about last week. It exposes or brings to light things that the Lord wants to bring to light so we can walk in greater freedom, greater obedience, so we can experience more peace, more love, so we can walk in His power like he's called us to walk in. So I was explaining to my daughter, and she was saying, yeah, Dad, I'm just feeling like I don't, I love the Lord well at church, and I have a desire for his word at church, and I have a desire for his presence in worship, but that's not transferring to my home life. That's not transferring to my desires at home. I said, Zion, this is wonderful, because this is not condemnation. This is conviction. You know why? I said, because the light that you're experiencing here, he wants you to experience it there. Now, let conviction lead you into asking the Holy Spirit to help you. 
And that's what we have to ha let conviction do. Conviction leads us in different ways into greater areas of freedom, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to do it on our own, just like Paul couldn't obey the law on his own. We have to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us strength to obey as he leads us through his exposing and through his light-giving ways. The, the other way to think about that is if he exposes and he gives light, Paul calls him, in Ephesians chapter 1, the spirit of revelation. Now, what if you could think of conviction as not something negative, but something positive like revelation? The Lord's revealing how helping you to come into agreement and revealing to you how you can love him with greater abandonment. So I was thinking of this in my own life just in the past couple of weeks. I was thinking of how I've been responding to some of the conviction of the Lord. And we had a 24-hour uh, prayer event here a few Saturdays ago called Fervent 24. Did anyone get to come to Fervent 24? Good. Well, we were praying for children in Fervent 24. And we were praying out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And it says this. If you're a parent, get ready for revelation. <laughs> it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your home. And you shall talk of them when you walk by the way, or think of driving in your car. And you shall talk of them when you lie down in the evening. And you shall talk of them when you rise. Now, how many people do that perfectly every day? I do not. But this verse, I was just like, oh, I want that, Lord. And I had that, a little pain in my heart of like, I'm not doing that in some ways like I've done in the past. And I just took a moment to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and said, Lord, show me how to do this in a greater way in my family. And just little thoughts began to come. I thought of, I normally take home my 15-year-old son from Wednesday night, and we drive back in the car. And I just had that thought of, I'm going to talk to Isaiah on whatever he wants to talk about in the Word of God. We're just going to open it up, and we have 45 minutes on my commute to talk about God. And I thought of my daughter Zion, and I bring her up every Wednesday morning for something up here at the church. And I thought, I'm going to ask her what book of the Bible she wants to go through in that 45 minutes. And then I thought of, I have a Monday night meal and a Tuesday night meal that I eat with my family. I, I get home in time to, to, for us to sit down at the table at 5 and have a good dinner together and a good discussion. And I just said, I'm renewing my commitment just to center our conversation around the Lord, around His ways. And I just started to think of different things. And then, as I would think of them, I would just ask, Holy Spirit, give me grace to do this. 
Give me grace for Wednesday night. Give me grace for Wednesday morning. Give me grace for Monday night and Tuesday night. And those were the four things that the Lord convicted me with that verse. And I just responded to that conviction by, Holy Spirit, you can help me to do this. So help me to do this. I just think of us as fathers and as mothers. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about how we're raising our families. I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to people that are single about using their singleness to glorify God in the greatest way. Paul speaks of this. He's like, those that are married sometimes have to focus on the marriage and they can't focus on some of the other works of God. And he, as a celibate, was focusing on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's how he was giving, he was asking God for grace in his singleness to fulfill the calling that the Lord has placed on him. This happened, another uh, just testimony of just kind of conviction leading me to response was uh, when I was 26 years old, in 2008, I was living in Kansas City. I'd been a part of a ministry called the International House of Prayer for about eight years, and I had raised up a successful worship team and worship ministry. And we were a part of a conference ministry, and we were traveling every month, leading conferences of 1,500 to 2,000 young people, some larger, some smaller. We grew it into a conference ministry in Kansas City. I say we grew it. We were just obedient and diligent. The Lord breathed on it. But it grew into a, a, a where 20,000 young people were coming to Kansas City every December, and we were worshiping, and we were talking about how to live radical lives for Jesus. And, and I gave myself to it, and the Lord had that assignment for me. And then I began to feel the voice of the Holy Spirit giving me revelation on him leading me into a different season of my life. And I began to talk to him about it. Lord, reveal this. Lord, show me. And I would call that it was conviction. But it was conviction about a season change in my life. It, was a con- it wasn't a conviction necessarily. I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was the Holy Spirit saying, I have something else for you. And through a season of events, as I prayed, as I talked to my wife, the Lord began to speak very clearly to us that we were supposed to lay down this ministry that we raised up, and we were supposed to give it to a person I was co-leading it with, and I was supposed to step out of it and ask the Lord what the next season was. And that was very hard to do because it was a work that the Lord had given me to do, and it was I, I, had, I had poured myself into it. But there was grace for the season change, only empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, once I laid that ministry down, it's like, you know, the Lord slammed the door behind me, and I had an identity crisis for two years. How many of you know you have to go through an identity crisis sometimes in your life? Not only one time, a few times, right? And the Lord just stripped me of everything and said, okay, this is hard to talk about without crying. And he said, you don't have to do anything for me. I love you for who you are. And I'm going to lead you into a different season. And that season, that eight-year season, I actually feel like I'm just coming out of it. Even stepping into ministry in this church, I feel like it was an eight-year transition season into the next season of ministry in my life. And if I, if I, if I wouldn't have responded to it, I would have missed so many things. 
I don't think we would have time or grace to adopt our daughters from Ethiopia. We wouldn't have had time or grace to hear the call of the Lord to go to Brazil and to plant a church. In that transition, coming back, we wouldn't have gotten to Colorado Springs and I wouldn't have gotten here. And I just look at that moment of, Lord, you gave me grace to obey. And in the transition, you continued to give me grace to follow you and to cry out to you and to remain and abide in the love of God. I think of our time. Just recently in my life, I'm thinking of how can I use my time, Lord? And the Lord was convicting me about my time. I had just come on staff here. And I was kind of grumbling and complaining about we live in Colorado Springs. And I was kind of grumbling and complaining about my 45-minute commute. Until I talked to the Lord about it. And he convicted me on it. He was like, why are you grumbling about this? And I was like, oh, okay. I am grumbling. Lord, I repent from grumbling. Lord, speak to me about my commute. And I got filled with such hope for time without seven children around me to pray. And I just had this shift in my mind. I was like, oh my gosh. I have an hour and a half of uninterrupted time just to talk to you. And I got this phrase that the Lord gave me. He's like, I-25 for you is going to become a highway of holiness. The holy God is going to encounter Marcus Meyer on I-25. And then I got this other phrase that was in my heart. And, and I said, this is going to be a corridor of glory. This I-25 corridor, it's going to be for me a corridor of glory. And I pray those two things. Most times on my commute as I get in the car, I said, okay, Lord, I'm on the highway of holiness. Encounter me. Okay, Lord, I'm entering the corridor of glory. Let me experience your glory. And it was just a conviction of my grumbling on my time. But as I was convicted, I just waited on the Lord and said, Lord, I repent for that. Show me what you want to do. And now, honestly, I've had the, some of the best times with the Lord in the last seven months driving. I'm spending a lot of money. It's, and it's an expensive time, you know, with gas. But the Lord will redeem that as well. One other thing on conviction, and then we'll, and then we'll break up into our groups. There have been many times where the Lord has, has led Rachel and I into a greater experience of his presence and of his nature just through our finances and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and how we were spending our money and in those times where we're tested in giving extravagantly or giving radically. And there have been times where the Lord has told Rachel and I, to empty our savings accounts. Now, this isn't our retirement that we're putting aside for. I feel like we need to be responsible with that. If the Lord tells you to touch it, do it, because he's going to pour out blessings upon you. But this is our, like our emergency savings, our emergency funds that we have for our family and for our children. And there's been many times where the Lord has just said, you need to give all that away to this, or you need to do this with that. Now, don't, like, think of us as great people because that account never gets too big. <laughs> but just the other day, Rachel and I were praying and, and I started to pray 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. And it says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. 
or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And then verse 8 just touched me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may abound in every good work. And when I prayed that, I just had this conviction in my heart that we need to give this amount now because we are crying out for God's grace to abound in our family. And it was just this link of, in this obedience and giving, again, I've used, this verse has touched me so many times, but God is going to make all grace abound to me. How many of you want all grace abounding to you? And you want all sufficiency in all things at all times. We experience the grace of God in finances in times, in, in times in the past, but at all times in this season. So that we would have a sufficiency for every good work. And so we had the grace in that moment just to give it. All right, let's just give it. Let's just throw ourselves on God. And, ah. But now I'm excited because it's sown. And now I'm like, oh, how am I going to reap this time? Like, what's going to happen, you know? And then we'll end with this. In thinking that we have no condemnation, that the death sentence has been absorbed by Jesus and his love for us, but we have conviction of the Holy Spirit to keep us abiding in his love, to keep us obeying his commands. I just had this, the Lord put this warning in my heart. <laughs> and it comes from Hebrews chapter 3. It says in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Think of the conviction of the Holy Spirit as him exposing, bringing light, as you hearing his voice. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And then he's using this verse of the rebellion that went on in the wilderness in the Exodus. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. That's, that putting the test and seeing God's works for 40 years wasn't a good 40 years. That was a disciplined 40 years as the next generation was raised up. He says, therefore, I was provoked of that generation and I said... They have gone astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, and they would not enter into my rest. That's pretty heavy, but then the writer of Hebrews applies that to the church that he was writing to. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He says, exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, meaning as long as the Lord is not with you. As long as it is called today, exhort one another. And the idea is to have a believing heart, not to have an unbelieving heart. How many of you guys like people who exhort you to believe? Who exhort you to have faith? Sometimes some of the greatest ways is I'll just tell people my conviction. The Lord has been speaking to me about this. And I say it, and they go, oh. That feels like the Lord. Oh, you, you should obey him. Oh, you should step out in faith in that way. Oh, okay, good. That's the exhorting one another to have a believing heart. It says this, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if in the new covenant our heart can be softened and we can have a soft heart, this is a warning not to return to the bondage of sin, to the bondage of slavery, and not to return to a hard heart. And how do we not return to a hard heart? 
today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, obey. Okay, we're going to be done. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us, and then we can break up into our groups. And let's talk about John 15, verse 9 and 10. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that you are our helper. We thank you that you are our advocate. We thank you that for your exposing and light-giving nature. And we say, reveal to us in the areas that you want us to be obeying. Reveal to us the areas that you want us to stay faithful in. Reveal to us the new seasons that you have for us. Reveal to us, Lord, sin that is getting in the way. Reveal to us, God, the good works that you have for us to do. We say, reveal them. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, come and speak to us. And we ask you for grace to obey your voice. We ask you for strength to obey. We ask you for power to obey that was released at the cross, at the shedding of the blood of the most precious son. We thank you that sin has been condemned and because we are attached and we are a part of the vine and we are a part of the body of Christ, that we have no condemnation. We thank you for that and we ask you for help in your leadership and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Awesome, guys. Well, we are... We have our tables out there. We'll get a part of a discussion group and talk about all that you want to talk about in John 15, 9, 10.